Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Hello, Dark Knight of the Podcast fans, friends, and followers. This episode of Dark Knight of the Podcast is truly going to be out of this world. Whoa! Isn't that right, Troy? Out of this fucking world, for sure. Excellent. Yeah, it's, this one is, whew, God. <laughs> okay, let's just stop and tell, the, uh, tell our listeners, if they have not seen this movie, to shut the podcast off right now, yeah, yeah, and seek it out because you have to see this. We don't want to spoil anything for you. And the film we are talking about is the 1982 sci-fi alien invasion flick. I guess it's a lot of things. At <laughs> extra, which Roger, when I was, I, this has sequels. <laughs> this two, has sequ- two sequels. I have not seen either one of them. I have <laughs> never seen this movie, so. Seek this out before you listen to this because whew, uh, this is a 180 degree turn from the film we covered last week. The uh, the psychological slasher with lots of layers, high tension. That was a good conversation. This is going to be a, a very a big shift in tone. We'll say that. It's a very distinct shift in tone from last week. And I welcome it. You know, I think oftentimes you and I thrive in our conversations discussing titles that uh, maybe we personally don't have too much knowledge about, or I definitely feel that this is a title that like a lot of our fans may definitely not have seen. Um, And I think every once in a while, like as a podcast, you've got to dig up some of these more obscure titles because that's half the fun of it. I, you know, I, I I want a reason to seek out new cinema. And so this movie is one that I had seen. Honestly, I didn't tell you this, but I had seen chunks of it, but I never watched the full movie. Uh, and so I was very excited to kind of come into a movie for a conversation that neither you nor I really had a vast knowledge of it. Um, I had seen several of the key scenes in this movie play out, and I found them very intriguing. But I had no idea, like, well, let's be real, I had no idea what was to come. And boy, what is to come is, and oftentimes it's very much like not what I anticipated at all from this film. At times it's part of the charm of it. Other times it it, it it throws me the fuck off. I don't know where it's coming from. I can't wait to talk about some of these sequences with you. The film has this like family drama dynamic that runs through it that actually makes it quite intriguing. Like you are you're rooting for either one of the male characters or the other, but there is this like whole family drama aspect at play that I was not anticipating. And, you know, I I will say that you get pretty invested in the characters. It's not a large cast. I can say that this film shifted my my expectations because when I thought it was an alien invasion film, I just pictured like this alien going around, you know, often random people. But we get a very central family that is the focus of this film. And I think it makes the film um, a little more classier than I anticipated. The lead actress is very suave. I mean, she's not the 
she's not the greatest thing to look at, but she her her performance is really. I mean, she's you could tell she's taking the thing seriously. Her British accent adds just like this whole layer of class to the film. Yeah, I think that's a really great great point to touch on here is acknowledging like the family dynamic. What a key aspect. It, it, it plays here. Uh, there's almost moments of this movie that give me a hint of like a don't look now kind of sequence where you have this family that's kind of crumbling under some trauma that they've experienced and they're finding a way to kind of go on and re, like and operate and rebuild, uh, but it's not really totally successful. And there's a child that plays a focus here. The child is not dead. The child is very much alive and a major playing factor, but he is trying to kind of go through his own transformation that has the parents or at least, you know, one of the parents very concerned overall about his well-being. And by the time they realize what's going on, it's too late. Uh, but but honestly, the family dynamic is one of the strongest playing factors here because across the board, the performances are pretty solid. This movie boasts a very um, simple yet intriguing story. Well, I don't want to say simple, but like the core storyline of what's happening, family member gets abducted by aliens, comes back. Real like real lines with the family only to prove that he is in fact under the effect of the alien himself. Simple storyline at its core. It just goes off the rails a couple of times. But overall, Troy, I mean, going into this, I've got more positive than negative to say about this film. And the positives, listeners, again, if you haven't seen this movie, when this movie hits its stride, I gotta say, it's worth having seen. This movie boasts several superbly crafted sequences of horror and tension and body horror. Especially, this movie drifts into body horror on multiple occasions, and it does it very well. Yeah, there are definitely some very memorable standout sequences. Uh, one of the standout sequences from the film, to me, doesn't even involve any of the alien stuff, but we will get there. But yeah, guys, again, we're, we're talking about extra. And I do remember, I can say, I, I do remember the the box art on the shelves of my local mom and pop video store when I was a kid. I never rented it. I never pursued renting it simply because, as I've said 3,000 times on this podcast, my my passion has always been slasher films. So when I, as a little boy, when I saw a cover art that clearly depicted an alien on the front of it, I wasn't interested. But I'm glad you picked this, Roger, because I do remember this box art so distinctly. And, you know, here we are 30 years later and I'm getting a chance to watch this film that I don't know how I would have reacted seeing this when I was a kid. You know, there there are elements, like I said, that are just so, so standout, so well done uh, that I just wasn't expecting. The film has a a higher level of like skill to it professionalism to it that that i wasn't expecting and again yeah there are there are certain things about the movie that does go off the rails but i feel like we should we should get into it and again stop if you haven't seen the movie seek it out you can find it It might be a little difficult but you can find it to watch Um, but before you do that you know hit that five star rating on apple podcasts check out our patreon guys if you want more more episodes check out our patreon we got a whole slew of them we'll have a whole slew more the link is in the show notes patreon.com slash dark night of the podcast but now i think it's all about extra and and aliens and toy soldiers and neighbors beating snakes to death with a marinating hammer i mean we got all kinds of shit going on in here 
we got all kinds of shit because it's extra. And first thing I'm going to say is I really don't know what the title means. Like, is it is it is extra the name of the alien? <laughs> like, is extra is it like ET but like scarier? It's extra. Well, regardless, the name of the movie is extra. Horrible title doesn't really at all set you up for any idea of what to anticipate, nor does the poster, I'm going to say. Yes, the poster is memorable, but really, again, the poster just makes it look like a darker version of E.T. Um, you've got this child with a horrible bowl cut uh, being haunted by this strange demon creature that is truly more effective in the movie than this strange illustration. And then you've got an image of like this UFO like blasting off. It makes it look like you're getting in for like a real sci-fi. And one thing you brought up, Troy, is like, while there are definitely heavy alien themes here, the alien is really more often presented as like a, a monstrous creature. It doesn't feel like you're watching like fire in the sky, which is a movie I love. Like you give me a good alien abduction film, I'm up for nights. I don't know about you, Troy, but for me as a child, I was so scared of gray aliens, I would stay up at night fearing my abduction. Well, we cover two alien uh, films on our Patreon. Speaking of our Patreon, this gives us an, another opportunity to plug it. Uh, we did cover The Fourth Kind on our Patreon, and we covered, uh, what was the one with Carrie Russell? For the sad man. That's that, that's the one that take me back to one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. Yeah, uh, Dark Skies. Dark truly. Skies. Unexpected. <laughs> our the cost of our Patreon is worth listening to that one episode. It is one of our funniest. It's one of our best. It's on Patreon. It would literally. It's but we did we cut we had alien we had an alien month well we had alien two months in a row because we did the fourth kind and then we did dark skies yeah I mean the shit we've covered on Patreon we have obsessed with Beyonce we have the slumber party massacre Friday the we've covered uh, Repo the genetic opera I was scrolling through my my uh, tubes today and I saw that pop I'm like oh my god the memories we have some great films on there so seriously check it out this that just provided another opportunity to plug it but yeah we did cover those two. Uh, but this one, yes, I guess it is an alien film, but it's it's not the type of alien film you're thinking. It's not like Invaders from Mars. It's not like um, Life Force. It's not like Alien. This is a the alien almost is kind of a a secondary thing in the film. The film itself is mainly about this family that is being uh, invaded by something and as it as, as this happens it falls apart and you know the film opens with a pretty simple i think little little prologue that we get when we get um sam who is the, the one of the male leads of the film and tony so the film opens with sam and tony at their cottage playing with their dog they're throwing um you know a stick for the dog to fetch and stuff and there's this moment where uh, Sam gets the stick from the dog and throws it as hard as hard as he can up to the sky up and towards the woods. And the, the stick like <laughs> is like sucked into the sky. And then all of a sudden all hell breaks loose. Like everything turns black. This, this UFO light comes down and little Tony is there screaming for his dad. The dad is, is obviously being sucked towards this thing and we cut and the film then shifts to Tony, little Tony waking up from a dream and his mother, Rachel, is in his room. And it is uh, it's laid out through the dialogue that Sam, the father, has been missing for three years. 
And Rachel assumes that he just left. He just left them. When Tony says that he knows that his dad did not just leave him, that he was taken. And that is like the premise for the film. It's honestly a really nice setup. Um, The opening sequence, I mean, after you get through what feels like five minutes of credits that are nothing but white font against a still unmoving static shot of a night sky with stars, you do get to the scene and it is quick. It's it's really like well paced. If anything, it's it's a little brisk. But I don't mind it because the approach to the abduction sequence, they, they do a few things that I just didn't anticipate. I mean, they go right into it. Like, you know, three minute mark, you're into the abduction. And you've really got no backstory on these characters at all. Like you're not getting to know the character of Sam aside from the fact that he knows how to play fetch with a dog. That's literally all you get. Um, but you know, it's a broad day sequence and it suddenly shifts into this like night sequence. And like one thing about alien abductions, because when I was a kid, I really was fascinated with them. Um, but like one thing, like when you read about alien abductions is like, you know, people aren't always claiming they were abducted at night. Like they state that like when you're abducted by aliens, it completely shifts and alters like that moment in reality. And the fact that like they made this choice to shift from broad daylight to night, um, a complete just altering their reality that these two are, are in and what they're witnessing, I think was a unique and kind of intentional and well thought out decision, though it's very, very subtle, very simple. Um, but the, the abduction itself, you've got these really chaotic, like, well shot sh- shots, <laughs> well constructed, well executed shots of Sam being caught up in this like wind gust and like there's like light flares swelling up around him and they're definitely not digital. I mean, this is fucking 1982. It's just this very like hazy, weird, dreamy abduction sequence that really kind of throws you off and it's shot actually quite well. And I think it's a really, uh, just really interesting way to just start the movie off with such a punch. So quickly, you understand this guy's been abducted by aliens and whatever comes from this, it's probably not going to be good news. No, I, I have that same note how quickly that the scene is over. Like for the opening scene that is establishing the the basic catalyst for, for the story, it, it's over pretty quick. I mean, we're talking, I, I think this opening scene lasts, lasts less than like two minutes. I mean, it's quick. And we never really see Sam actually being sucked into the spaceship. We do also find out that, that Rachel has a new partner joe that lives with her and you know you can't blame her it's been three years if you think your partner walked out on you you're not gonna wait around for him um even though it becomes very apparent that she still has a lot of feelings for sam i kind of feel sorry for joe in this film roger i don't know how you feel but i because it is so obvious that she it's almost like she settled for him like the second that sam appears back she's joe's an after joe is put on the back burner you know, one thing I really have to applaud this film for is is its overall like execution, how it handles its its human dynamics between the major characters. Like, you know, you said that you were surprised by the quality of the film, how it was shot, how it looks. I'm also really impressed by just like how well written some of these human moments are. Like the way Joe's character is handled beginning to end, he is a very well thought out, well acted 
very well realized character who makes very unique and individualized choices that don't feel like someone just was like, okay, well, this seems like the right decision to, to write for this character, regardless of who he is. There's a few things he does later in the movie that I'm like, fuck, that feels like one of the more realistic choices I've seen from a genre film in a while, including how he handles the inevitable situation of Sam returning to the family. I love Joe's reactions to everything that happens. He's a great character. Um, he's also the only character in the film that does not speak with a British or a distinct a distinct accent, obviously to us. He's an American living in Britain. So the film is set in the UK or in Britain, uh, or at least in Europe somewhere, whatever, because you got French characters too. So it's a little all over the place. It's hard to pinpoint it. But you do have this major character who who speaks, you know, with an American accent, which still keeps it feeling very like, for us, mainstream. It doesn't necessarily feel like a European film or a British film because you have this very central American character. Well, yeah. And it, there is a sharp contrast between him and, you know, uh, Rachel, Tony, Annalise, the French uh, pair that's there, um, and I, it's it's interesting because you know the film you you have um, Sam show back up as we'll get to in a minute, but yeah, you're very right. Joe is the outsider. He technically is the outsider. He's the one that should not. I don't want to say should not be there, but like he doesn't fit with the rest of the family it's obvious and so i think the like you said i think that's very intentional that they cast an american actor in this role because you know he is foreign and but the film wants to paint sam as sort of being the outsider the intruder when he comes back but it's really not the case and i think i also like the fact that they do they don't make they don't make it drama like they don't the film never veers into like a a soap opera drama because it's there's no like like big struggle between sam and joe there's no like huge fights between rachel and joe or rachel and sam about the situation i think joe recognizes it right off the bat that rachel is 100 percent into sam so he's not even going to try or put up a fight and i really i think that's an interesting choice for for the film so after this scene, we get the we get the alien, we get the alien, we get the spaceship crash. Uh, we just shift to some random woods. We see this uh, UFO crash into the woods. It causes a lot of fire. The woods are on fire, and we get a glimpse of this. <laughs> I guess it's the alien. Is this extra? I mean, if we're going to refer to him as extra, is that his name? Have we decided that's his name? <laughs> I guess that's his name. He look he looks to me a lot like the creature from Poltergeist Two, the tequila worm from Poltergeist Two, oh, with like those <laughs> lips and those teeth. Yeah, but this was before Poltergeist Two, right? It was, yes. So Extro gets the points here for being the creative design because when you do start to see this thing, like you know, after the UFO crashes, you have this big burning wreckage, and you know, trees are on fire, and it's very dramatic. You do start to see the alien kind of like basically emerge from like the goop, the mud, the dirt, it starts like, uh, you know, basically it looks like it's in a way almost like rebuilding itself out of the mud. Um, and you start to see it like visualize, you get a lot of usage over the course of this film of like, since all these effects are practical. And I mean, that is one of the big things we're going to be talking about. The effects in this movie are often rather standout. I mean, the fact that this movie doesn't get more praise and attention for some of its practical effects in the time of when they were doing this. Um, I'm surprised because it really delivers more often than not. 
um, and, and really packs a punch. And this opening sequence, when you're starting to see this thing, it's honestly really impressive. And they use a lot of these usage of like air pockets. Like you'll see things like inflating, puffing, bloating, bubbling. Um, and it's it looks, you know, it's very practical, but like it looks great because it's so like it's really there. It's authentic. It's in the moment. You're seeing people's skin puff up, vein up. And in this case, you're seeing the torso of this thing start to like rebuild a bit. Um, and it just looks very, very well done because it's a, a practical effect. It's very textured. They shadow it well. So oftentimes this thing does look really fucking good. Yeah. We don't get enough of it. We don't get enough of it. Uh, for being the title of the film, he certainly isn't around much, but no, it looks great. So this car comes along and it hits something. Does it hit? It hits. I don't know what it hits. Does it hit extra? There's a shot of him. Like, do you see that where he's like right on the edge of the street? It's actually a great startle. Like they're driving, they look over and for a split second, you see extra, which I don't know if this is the thing's fucking name extra, but we're going to go with it. You see extra on the side of the road and it like lifts its like hoof leg and instantly it's like hit really like clearly it's like this car hits it. Um, and it's it's really I think like the the first good startle in the movie. Did you not catch that shot, Troy? I, I I gather that they hit him because the guy gets out of the the car, goes into the woods, and finds it. You know, finds it laying there, all kind of like bloodied and stuff. And as he approaches it, the, the the creature turns its head and like screams at him and it shoots its tongue out of its mouth real quick, and it pokes two holes into his right under his eyeballs. And of course, the guy is dead i mean it's a pretty gnarly gnarly scene like i haven't seen something like that occur where you know instead of like hitting him right in the eye like you would expect these tentacles flat and, and like almost right underneath the eyes like the soft part of your, your eye the under you know under your eyelid it's it's pretty pretty impressive but it kills the guy instantly the score in this film is oftentimes like very like electronic. Like sometimes it can sound like a cheap MIDI file. I'm not going to bullshit about that, but for the most part, it's rather effective. And there are some of these key moments here, like this, this first reveal of the creature, uh, at least being encountered by a person where you get these really great, like low synthy tones that really like set this kind of mood. And this scene is actually rather rather effective i mean the whole run of it because after he gets attacked he's got this girlfriend jane we learn her name is jane back in the car and she's like checking out where they hit the thing and she's you know touching the side of the car she finds some slime on the end of it she's like wiping it in the grass which i think is like a really natural response for something like that she gets back in the car and she starts backing it up because she's looking for him because he ran ahead so she backs the car up to where he is and she's calling for him and there's this great moment here when she's sitting in the car where the door is open and all of a sudden this claw reaches through and fucking grabs her and starts pulling her forward and her foot gets caught in the steering wheel for a moment. And, you you know, it cuts away, but you still get kind of the impact of the shock of like, oh, my God, this thing grabs her and like yanks her forward so hard her leg gets caught. Um, it's, a, it's really a, a fun little scene uh, beginning to end. I think it does a really good job of setting up the kind of level of. Uh, great build-up sequences that they have over the course of the film. There's a lot of really nicely drawn out suspenseful scenes in this movie. I, yeah, I love the shot of her leg getting or her foot getting caught in the steering wheel and he's pulling and you go, it just like, looks like it's going to almost like rip the foot off, but yeah, it cuts away. Now this whole sequence is great for, for like the opening encounter of this, of this particular creature. Everything is handled really, really well. 
Tony seems to right away have like a connection with what's going on because he actually wakes up from a dream like right at the moment when this thing crashes and he, he goes into his mom and Joe's room. And of course they're having sex. So she has to get up and, and put them and put Tony back to bed. But it's established early on that like Tony is, has some sort of mental telepathic connection to everything that this creature's doing and where it's at and stuff. And when it's appearing, because he has a very strong physical reaction. Okay. Now, <laughs> Now we get this random blonde broad uh, washing her hair in her kitchen sink. Uh, she has this little Jack Russell Terrier, which I have a Jack Russell Terrier. So whenever I see one, I have to be, oh, but yeah, she has this little dog. He won't eat. And of course, she thinks she hears something outside because she's in a remote cottage, which we assume that this thing just crashed and it must be near her house. So she opens her front door. Is, hey, who's out there? Who's out there? And her little dog runs outside and she has to go back and uh, she has to go out and get him. Uh, and she goes back inside, shuts the door, and obviously she's not satisfied that there's nothing out there because she she gets a gun and starts to load the gun when all of a sudden this fucking creature grabs her from under her table. How it got into her house, it's got into her house pretty damn quick, but it's in there, it's under her kitchen table, fucking grabs her, throws her on the floor, and then this tentacle shoots out of its mouth and attaches itself onto her mouth. <laughs> I like a lot of things about everything to do with this woman and the few moments she's in this movie. First of all, it's definitely a self-bleach job that she's just executed. It looks awful. Um, She's got the hose going like she's been washing her hair out. She looks horrible, but she looks fun. She looks like somebody I would want to hang out with, and I'm sad that she died. Um, I will say that, you know, the fact that her dog's name is Divine, by the way, because she's like, Divine, Divine, get back here right away. Like, she's like calling for him. Uh, She asks the dog if it wants its din-dins. I like that for a lot of the characters in this movie that get limited screen time because there's several of them none of the characters feel horribly two-dimensional like so many times in movies you'll get a character that you know is going to die and they just don't try to create like an authentic world that that character lives in or try to create like an individual that you think might actually be kind of like you know interesting their own person this is definitely not like a this woman is not a paper thin depiction of an individual like her life like you get a really unique idea of who this woman is for the brief time that she's on camera, even down to the makeup that they have on her face. It's fun. I like her. Um, The scene that occurs here, you know, as she's stalking around the house, she turns off all the lights. She's bolting the doors for a moment. The room is like bathed in the red glow of the fireplace. And it becomes again, very intense, very suspenseful. She's walking around with a gun. She gets grabbed. And then what happens after this, this whole thing with the tentacle, I think this gives you a good idea of kind of like, the fact that this movie is you don't know what to expect from this film and it continuously surprises you over and over. Like when this whole thing with the tentacle happened, I was like, what the fuck? Like what is going on? And then like what happens after this is even so much more like what the fuck? Like one of the best things about this movie is it constantly takes your basic expectations of what you think you know about an alien abduction film or an alien related film. And it like kind of throws you on your ass. And I have to say, I'm really surprised just how much this film I feel had to influence the film species too. Because if you've ever watched the species series, like the storyline here is extremely similar in elements to species two. And I think that film definitely has a lot of credit 
to give to this film, especially with what's about to happen with this sequence with this busty blonde, like this whole scene that's about to come up. I fucking love it. I love it. I love it. I think it's excellent. Oh, it is. It's crazy. I'm, I'm, I, when I first saw this coming up, I was like, what in the fuck is happening? But before that happens, we go back into Tony's bedroom. He is he wakes up screaming. Uh, so Rachel has to run in and, he, and she's asking him what's wrong. He keeps saying, daddy's hurt. Daddy's hurt. Uh, and he, he pulls his hands out from under a sheet and they're covered in blood. So she pulls the sheet back. And Roger, this little boy is drenched drenched in blood. And one thing that I can't get over is how this is dismissed so easily. Like, okay, yeah, they call the doctor. The doctor comes and checks him. It's like, Oh, I don't see anything wrong. Uh, the doctor's like, um, where do you think that blood came from? And Tony says, well, daddy sent the blood. The doctor asks Rachel, could his father have contacted him? And she's like, Oh, there's no way. Joe is like, Oh, he just has a wild imagination. You know, he's kids will be kids. And Rachel snaps at him. She's like, Joe, stay out of this, which is like kind of like the first indication that she really doesn't think of him as being like a true part of their little family. I thought that was a really intentional piece of dialogue where she's like, you like stay out of this. You aren't even his real dad. Almost it's like she's insinuating. Uh, And the doctor suggests counseling. We are introduced to Annalise, who is the French nanny that lives with uh, Rachel and takes care of the house and takes care of Tony. And she, her explanation is, Oh, well, he just misses his dad. But what I want to know is where do they think this blood came from? This kid is drenched in it. Nobody seems to like question. Even when the doctors are like, okay, yes, that might be great. He misses his dad, but where the fuck did all this blood come from? It is so dismissed. I was like, what? If my kid woke up covered in blood, I would be, freaking out until I found where this fucking blood came from. But nobody seems to care. The volume of blood, like listeners, we we really cannot even emphasize just how much blood is is all over this kid. It's not like his shirt is just bloody. It's not like his face is just bloody. From stern to bow, the top of his head down to the tip of a toe, his toes, this child is bathed in it. And even like Rachel's reaction, like she's shocked, but I would be like, oh my God, <laughs> if I found my child looking like Carrie White under the sheets, like I wouldn't, I, I would be like losing my mind. And and so, yeah, like it never comes back into play. They do bring into the fact a few things, like they bring into the fact that like He's like a mischievous kid. He has all kinds of toys and knickknacks and nonsense in his room. He wouldn't be having buckets of blood. He does have a snake. Like, and he does have like strange interests, like the snake that Harry, that he's so infatuated with. But it's not like enough of an, uh, like a distraction for me to explain like, okay, this is why this child may, may possibly be literally bathed in blood. Yeah, it's like Joe just dismisses it as like, oh, well, he's mis- he's mischievous. He has a wild imagination. Okay, that may be. Where, where did he get fucking buckets of blood to dump all over himself? Again, it just it boggled my mind how this was so dismissed by everybody. But it does lead to the blonde, the blonde waking up. And of course she's hurt and she's stumbling around. She looks over and the dog is like eating the, like the carcass of the, an alien. Is that... Extra's carcass it's eating it's 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 eating a carcass of something just going to town on it what i gathered troy is that his body had to physically change 
in order to exist wherever he took, he was taken by this alien. He says it later in the movie. So now in order for him to come back and exist here on earth again, in his natural form for however long he can, you know, make that happen uh, before his body starts deteriorating, he is needing to reproduce himself in a human form. Uh, so he leaves the husk of that body behind in whatever that, whatever that fucking flesh tube that went over her mouth and did whatever it did. I'm guessing it's transferring him over to her to reproduce him in a human, you know, in a, in a clone of a human being again. I know what I just said makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, but this is me grasping, grasping for straws, trying to explain what's about to happen here. Well, the, the, yeah, the tentacle impregnated her is the the gist of it because she gets to she gets up she goes stumbles into the kitchen to get a drink and as she's getting a drink she literally just falls over knocks shit over falls onto the kitchen table falls on the floor and then just i mean within seconds becomes like super pregnant like her stomach within a matter of seconds is the size of a goddamn i mean it's huge huge troy is not exaggerating here people this this stomach is insanely oversized but it's horrifying and she's on the floor wreathing and, and groaning in pain when all of a sudden her she i mean she starts giving birth i mean and it does not shy away from i mean it does not shy away from showing the effect like we see sam literally coming out of her between her legs i mean you and it's a it, it is a well done obviously practical effect but it's well done you could i mean it's latex and stuff but it just looks good he's crawling out he's covered in blood she is dead because she's been torn apart uh i mean but this is this is a gory gory scene and when i was first watched this i was like holy fuck we've seen this done before in other films but i don't think to this uh to this extent and i mean this is pretty awesome for a 1982 effect of a grown man coming out of a woman's vagina the practical effect, specifically when it's showing her on the floor for the first time revealing her stomach. Because one thing I like is like you start to see her stomach pulsing. She's struggling. As she starts to drop to the floor, her stomach is really starting to grow. Like you're realizing just how pregnant she is, and it just doesn't stop there. And it becomes so big, I actually think it like, you know, it 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 takes up her whole lower torso. And you you see the shot of the camera moving on the floor of the kitchen kind of panning alongside her, revealing in all its glory a full body shot of her laying on the floor as the stomach is is starting to pulse. And it's honestly like one of the better practical effects I can think of from like the early 80s. Like I really have to say this moment, yeah, you're right, it looks like latex, but it also looks completely again, physically authentic there in the moment. There's not a hint of digital anything over this. And the fact they pull it off to the extent that they do with the the sludge like pouring out from between her legs as he starts ripping through. I mean, goddamn, they don't shy away. And because of that, like it really is, it's a scene I'm surprised that hasn't made like more like top tens or been recognized more because it's really just so fucking gruesome. I would agree. Yeah, this is a, scene and a film you never hear get talked about and i actually think that this is just one of of maybe three scenes in this film that are pretty memorable that i would expect now that i've seen the film that i could list as being a gnarly effect or a suspenseful effect or whatever 
maybe it's because the film is British, so it just didn't get a lot of attention here in the United States. But uh, yeah, this is another one you never hear talked about. Uh, but he, yeah, he he's he comes out and he's n- naked, covered in blood. He rinses off in the in the sink with her little sprayer, and then he goes into the woods and he takes the clothes from the uh, the guy that he killed uh, in the woods with when he shot his little tentacles into the guy's eye. He takes his clothes, uh, and yeah, that's that. Sam is back. We've seen Sam be returned to Earth three years later. Because the storyline here is honestly, like I said earlier, rather simple, it does this overall film a lot of favors. The film itself is absurd, but the core storyline is is very simplistic. And what I really like is like, you know, after he goes and is reborn, he goes and, and revisits the site of where he killed this man, takes his clothing, and then also proceeds to take his car with his girlfriend's dead body inside of it. And this continues to play a major factor into the film as the film progresses, like this woman's death, her body being discovered and everything. It it ties a lot of things together. I like that this film, it feels very well thought out. You know, everything that happens feels like a, a, a specific decision made by the writer of the script and the director in how they're going to make everything kind of have connective tissue and kind of all come together at the end of the movie. Um, I really think this is a rather cohesive script and I just like these little details. It's very well thought out. He stops at a phone booth and he calls Rachel when she answers, he can't say anything. It's like, he's, he's still in his infancy at this point. So he can't really verbalize anything. All he can do is like mumble. And she's like, hello, hello. Who's there? Who's there? And he's trying to say something, but he can't. But what we do see is the phone melting in his hand. Again, I feel like it's he's it's this is his rebirth. He's he's in his infancy. He's still can't grasp his human elements yet because he's so young, quote unquote. Uh, it's a really good little, I think, uh, a little it was a really good little scene to add to let us know that hey, he is not fully himself yet it's going to take him some time to get there well and also trey that's something that carries over it it continues because i think one thing to acknowledge is he's here in a human form but he's not ever going to completely be sam again like i think he has this form for a limited period of time and he has to do things to maintain it you see him huffing gas later you know there's certain things to do with like like the heat and the steam and the Whatever it is he's that he's projecting, the radiation or whatever the fuck it is that that his body is projecting while he's in this form, he has to do certain things to maintain it. And I like that as well. Like I don't I don't think that he is able to preserve this for that long. No, he has a he has a very limited time to accomplish what he needs to accomplish as as we find out. Uh, otherwise, as you mentioned earlier, his body is gonna deteriorate. So he has to he's come back to Earth with a very distinct goal. We don't really know what the goal is until the the film concludes, but but yeah, he makes this phone call. The phone melts in his hand, and then he gets yeah, he drives the dead couple's car into the city and just leaves it parked. So at their apartment, we get some uh, interesting dynamics between the family, uh, between Rachel, Joe, and Tony. Tony's at the breakfast table playing with his army man that he loves dearly. He's always has a, he always has this little army figurine that he's playing with. Joe has to wake Annalise up to, to take uh, Tony to school. And she's like, oh, he's going to school after last night. 
Well, yeah, apparently they're sending him to school after you woke up covered in blood, like nothing happened. Joe invites Tony to go take some photos with him, and Tony's very hesitant. He's like, eh, I don't know. So again, it's doing what it can in, in these in these short little moments to establish a relationship between like Tony and Joe. Joe's trying to take Sam's place, but Tony's very resistant to it. Almost like Tony knows or has a feeling that his father will be back. Uh, we also get introduced to Harry, the snake, which is just like a garter snake. This isn't like a cobra or anything or a rattlesnake. This is literally a garter snake. And so he has to put Harry back in his room. I want to point out this child is literally playing in butter. Like this child is playing in butter. He's got a fucking, he's got this snake out and about at the, the breakfast table. This snake, Harry has no business being out and fucking about at the breakfast table. Like, come on. The kid is a bit of a pill. I mean, he's well played, but God, I fucking hate children so much. This reminds me of why I don't like children with their snakes, their gardener snakes at the fucking yes, breakfast Yes, this child table. is rather annoying, but it's hard to like hate him, hate him, because it's it plays into the dynamic with the family so well. And he, ha- he has to be the way he is for the dynamic to work itself out and for the film to be interesting in that respect. Joe does ask Rachel what Tony said about last night. Did he tell you anything about last night? And she said, nope, she didn't ask him and she's not going to push it. And that's that. They're not going to talk about this blood incident ever again. I would think that these parents would want to invest, investigate this a little bit more. Like, is the child anemic? Like, come on. Like, and I know eventually they're like, oh, well, like they, they've come back that it's not his blood. I think that's almost more problematic whose blood is it exactly where how did it get on him they're not concerned they're not concerned so annalise uh takes tony to school and on their way down they run into the neighbor lady old miss goodman who is a pill herself she's like oh there's my tony be sure you work hard at your lessons Work hard at your lessons, young man. Diligence pays. Like, she is a caricature of a human being, but I'm okay with it. Um, uh, what's to come from her is, is honestly one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Um, we'll talk about it. But, like, this woman, limited screen time, big pale. Yeah, she is a, she is quite the character, yeah. Uh, and I love Tony. He, he, he responds to her by turning around and shooting her with his army man, which is foreshadowing. It's quite interesting. And we we haven't really talked about Annalise yet. Annalise, this young, supple French girl. <laughs> supple. That's the right word for her. Supple. Uh, this, this Annalise, honestly, Troy, I feel like Annalise is like almost like sometimes I feel like we're seeing the movie for, through Annalise's perspective. She's kind of speaking for the audience. I feel like she brings an element of just relatability uh, to the film. She's very well played. She's very likable. She's kind of a ditz but like it's still endearing um and oftentimes like the things she's saying are the things that you the viewer are kind of thinking like she's very like tapped into the moment she makes for a very um surprisingly like well again well thought out character this movie's chock full of them and she is a character who you look at her you kind of look at her purpose to the movie you think that she's very disposable uh but she doesn't feel that way at all she feels if anything she kind of feels like reagan's babysitter nanny in the exorcist who ended up serving kind of a major purpose she has kind of like a similar vibe in the in the part she plays here in the storyline but i dare say she's almost like more charming and more yeah likeable. i do like annalise a lot i like how carefree she is 
I do like the fact that she, you know, is the one that questions things and is not afraid to ask what ask of characters what we are thinking or what we are thinking maybe the mother should be asking or what's you know she's she's calling shit out she's calling bullshit out and you gotta you gotta admire that but on her way to school with tony uh sam is there he does see annalise walking tony to school and he follows them um so this man in this van very clumsily just like backs into this car I he's not paying attention to where he's going, which is probably he just backs right. And then he he thinks that like getting out of his car just to a he like gets out and he's like, Hey, I apologize. I'm sorry about that. And he opens the door and it's the girl from the uh the scene earlier, and her guts are like hanging out of her stomach. I love this reveal. And I love that this is how like she is found. I love that literally Sam just gets out of the car, leaves it behind, and never even like questions it. There's still a very maniacal element to Sam. Like you know that he's not back and like looking for like a family reunion. He's back with like darker intentions. I mean, in a way, he is kind of looking for a family reunion. He's looking for his son, but he still he has more maniacal, darker intentions. And humans feel very disposable. To, to him, I feel like it almost has a vibe of In the Skin. Is that the name of the, the one with um, Scarlett Johansson? Yeah, from like, you know, like maybe like 2000, that's like 2006 now, or is it? I don't know. It's time blurs, but it has a similar vibe. You've got this like, you know, in, in his case, he's returned to Earth, but you've got this alien entity who's who's kind of getting their footing on Earth and other humans around them just seem completely disposable and they really just don't seem to care if they're killing people off or what they do. Like it doesn't seem like he shows any remorse for any of the humans that he dispatches over the course of the film. All he cares about is his son. Well, yeah, it's obvious that Sam has a very, like, like we talked about, he has a very distinct goal for, for coming back and it's his, it's his mission and it's all to do with Tony. And that is why Tony seems to be like, so in tune with what's going on. There's almost like it's almost like hinted at like, yeah, there's like, that there's this telepathic connection between the two characters and it just becomes more and more sinister as the film goes on. So Annalise being her supple self is a horny, horny, horny broad. She's having sex in this movie. Anytime she can get away, she's having sex with this boyfriend of hers, Michael. I mean, they're a butt naked. Her boobs are out. Puss is out. He's his little. We see his little butt. Not the most attractive man in the world, but hey. Annalise is getting it and she's getting it good, Troy. I mean, like, I gotta say this. This sex scene, like, you can, you see her getting her her lady orifice nibbled upon. I mean, you see the guy basically going down on her. Like, you get a crotch shot. You definitely get a fanny shot from him. I mean, a long one. And yes, you're right. He's a bit of a butterface, but that fanny, it's like a little apple fanny. I mean, he's looking good. I, I wouldn't say no. And yeah, they're having, it's like a rather elaborate sex scene. For a film that really, like, I don't know, doesn't seem to offer a whole lot of this. Like, you get one more moment with the two of them laying laying naked again. Um, and you do have, like, a few moments with Rachel, like, lovemaking with her lovers, you know, which is an integral to the storyline. But overall, this movie doesn't strike me as, like, a sexual, gratuitous film in that sense. So when you do have these few moments, they're actually a little bit startling. But yeah, the phone rings. She has to get up. And it's, it's Rachel... Uh, telling her that she will pick up Tony if if uh, Annalise could go to the store and pick up some items for dinner. All while her boyfriend is like just drinking milk out of their container, out of the refrigerator, just right next to her. I'm like, Ugh. 
That's disgusting. But he's fun, though. He did, he has barely any lines, but the few lines he has, like, he has this one moment, like, right after she hangs up the phone, he's like, how long we got? <laughs> like, like, she's like, long enough. Like, I don't know. It's fun. I like their chemistry. Um, and he is another character that could, feels very disposable, but somehow comes back into play and has a major moment. So none of the characters here feel, like, completely I will away. say, Roger, upon first viewing, I th- initially thought that it was Joe. Same. They look uh, same. The three males in this film, Joe, Sam, and Michael, the prominent Annalise's boyfriend, they all look the same. Dark hair, you know, skinny, uh, lanky. So like when I first upon first viewing, I'm like, oh my God, she is fucking Joe, that whore. But it's not. Joe, speaking of Joe, he apparently is a photographer and he is photograph <laughs> and he's photographing Paula. This Paula and her High heel. I mean, Paula is another character who becomes surprisingly like more like <laughs> well played than I would expect such a throwaway character. I love Paula. I know. She has her leg up on the stool and her high heel and her, you know, and she's eating like, what is she eating? Cookies and drinking a Coke. And he's like, get those crumbs. Those crumbs are, are getting on your shoe. Get those. <laughs> Quit eating, Paula. <laughs> There's even that moment, like, as it, like, transitions to the next scene, it cuts to, like, a close-up on her, and he's like, Paula, would you stop drooling on yourself? And she, like, looks over, and then she does come back as well. Thank God. We get one more moment with Paula. But Rachel, I want to know what they do. Rachel obviously works here, too, because she's there. She leaves, and she tells uh, Joe that she's going to get Tony, and that she might take him to the zoo, so that maybe he will talk to her. And Joe is like, oh, okay, that sounds like a good idea. And then, yeah, he goes right back to photographing Paula. I don't know what she's supposed to be doing. She's just like has her leg up on a stool in this high heel. I don't know. It doesn't look sexy. It doesn't look like high fashion to me. But hey, whatever. It's Paula. I'll take it. I think it's like an advertisement for like whatever is under her foot, whatever it may be that she's posing over. I think she's like a foot model. <laughs> like it's kind of like a weird shtick. It's implied that Joe's like a photographer. I'm guessing that maybe Rachel works in like the marketing aspect of it as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, you get like a little bit of a hint of this career. You don't see it. Well, Rachel shows up to Tony's school and he is not there. So she asks a teacher, Hey, where's Tony? Is he being held inside? And the teacher says, no, his father picked him up. And she's like, that's impossible. And the teacher says, well, no, you just missed them. So we get this moment where she runs after them. She runs into the direction that the teacher says they went. And, you know, it's kind of a suspenseful scene as she's running through the streets of the city screaming for Tony when finally she gets a glimpse of him and he's like, hi, mom. And she starts chasing him. And as she approaches where they're at, guess who steps out? Sam. And he just very casually is like, Hi, Rachel. And she proceeds to slap the shit out of him. As she should. As she should, because he just disappeared on her for three years. Right. This is the moment, Troy, that gives me a very, like, um, don't look now vibe. You know, her chasing him through these, like, you know, like the streets and down the staircases. You see hints of him running through the different, uh, like, you know, the slats of the staircases and so forth, little hints of of, of him running around through the different uh, alleyways and so forth. And um, I really like this moment of her pursuing after Tony um, and the fact that she's starting to become aware that Sam is back because little things have been hinting to this, but now she has this, like, realization. But the moment then of Sam, like, emerging from the shadows, it's it's – 
it's a very well-executed scene in general. I've been saying that term a lot, and I use the term well-executed. Let's be real. I say it way too much. But there are so many moments of this movie that I think outdo my expectations because that poster art is so fucking cheese-dicky when you first see it. You think you're going to get a certain caliber of film, and then you have these beautiful sequences you know, set in these really lovely settings and really masterfully shot. Like so many of these scenes are very well shot. And this is one of those moments that seems like very artistically handled, well thought out. It again, well executed. Yeah, definitely scene. lots of sweeping cinematography through the streets of, of whatever city this is. It's in the UK. Uh, yeah. And Tony, you can hear his faint laughter. She's chasing him, which is also very reminiscent of don't look now. But after she slaps Sam, he just looks at her and he's like, uh, I'm, I'm back. And she's like, well, back from where? And he says, I'm not sure. I don't know where I've been. I don't remember anything. And she buys it hook, line, and sinker right from the start. And she, like, kind of reluctantly, but definitely not reluctantly enough, allows Sam to come back into their lives. And I'm sorry. I'd be like, okay, um, before we have any further conversation, I'll be needing to, you know, speak with your lawyer. Um, I will be getting in touch with mine. Any dialogue that we have regarding our child at this point will be handled through, you know, legal aids. Um, because I need to know what the fuck happened. Where have you been for three years? Why did you up and leave me with, I'm assuming... You know, aside from having to raise a child, rear a child on my own because you're gone, I'm assuming you're off, I don't know, gallivanting, leaving me for another woman, which is kind of hinted at a little bit later, too. So I'm sure that's her great fear. But like the fact that she's so quick to just welcome him back into their life is a little surprising. But I do think she's so enamored with him and smitten with this man in general, the idea of him being back. She's willing to buy it because she wants his presence back in her life that badly. Absolutely. Because we have to remember she has Joe. Joe lives with her uh, and it's, it's established that they've been together for a while now. And for her to so easily just let him come right back to their apartment because she takes him back to the apartment. Uh, and then she's like, when they get to the apartment, she's like, oh, go in the bathroom and and there's razors in there. Clean yourself up. And this dude literally has no facial hair. His face, his face is as smooth as a, a baby's ass. And he even looks confused. He's like, oh, what? But Tony, Tony is thrilled to have Sam back. And he right away shows Sam Harry. He's like, oh, what do you think of Harry? And Sam's like, oh, he's beautiful. And Harry says, well, Sam just laid four eggs. How long do you think it'll take for them to hatch? That comes into play here in a minute. Uh, and Rachel calls Joe and she she basically tells him, yeah, he's here. He's saying he doesn't know where he's at. After Sam gets cleaned up, he comes out into the living room and Rachel asks, what's the last thing you remember? And he says, the cottage, a bright light and wind. But again, I think it is definitely problematic that this that she is so easily allowing him right back into their lives. Very problematic. I think it goes to show, you know, one of her major weaknesses. But I, I you know, I, as the movie goes on, I do feel for her character. You know, I feel like she's kind of at a loss of what to do. You know, I think she genuinely likes Joe, but she's clearly in love with Sam. I do wish... I would have gotten a little more of that set up before this. So it would make sense to me 
why she's so impacted by his return the way she is, you know? Um, I would really have liked to have maybe seen just how in love they were at the beginning of the movie. Uh, that might be one bit of exposition I would I would ask for here. But, I mean, overall, I get it. I get it, girl. I mean, you're in love with the fucking guy, and, and no Joe Schmo is going to replace him. No, and there's this funny scene where Joe is coming home from work, and he's going up the stairs, and Miss Goodman, of course, the neighbor is out, is out, Side her door she's like oh i see you're walking up the stairs again he's like yeah that's kind of what i have to do to get to my apartment she's like oh it's your apartment now oh i see mr sam is back she's like oh, i miss our old conversations so that even this old broad is, is rubbing it in joe's face that you're about to be replaced Oh, poor Joe has his tail between his legs like right away, and he definitely knows it. And that is a major kind of theme that carries through, you know, for his character moving forward. Um, he tries to kind of put his foot down. He does initiate like this is kind of, you know, this is my home. I live here. But like he just doesn't have a chance. As soon as Sam comes back, he really doesn't have a chance. No, it's quite sad. It's quite sad because he seems like a good guy with good intentions, you know. And yeah, he comes into the apartment and, you know, he asks right away, just like I would. He's like, oh, yeah. Hey, Sam, when'd you get back? Where are you staying? What are your plans? Uh, Rachel chimes in and she speaks for Sam. She, Sam doesn't even get to speak. Rachel's like, well, no, he doesn't know where he's staying. He doesn't have any place to go yet. And there's this moment where Joe like puts his arm around Rachel. You know, he sits on the couch next to her and puts her arm, puts his arm around her and she immediately gets up. She's like, oh, you want to drink, Joe? It's like she's embarrassed or she's uncomfortable with Joe showing her any infection in front of Sam. It's quite awkward right from the get-go. She goes in, gets him a drink, and then Joe is immediately is like, come on, Sam, what do you want? You know this is you can't stay here. Sam's like, I just want to be home. Joe says, this isn't your home anymore. Shouldn't that be obvious to you? I mean, and it leads to this little fight. I mean, it's nothing major where Joe goes into the kitchen and says, you know, Rachel, he has to go. This is not good. She's like, I'm not so sure. And he says, he left you. It's been three years. She said, I'm not so sure he did leave me. He says he can't remember anything. I do feel like right now Joe feels like the only one that makes a lick of sense here because he is very much speaking on behalf of the audience and what he says, you know, you know, remove the alien subplot. And if, if this were to come into play, if this guy were to show up after three years, like you're, what are you going to fucking, what conclusions are you going to jump to other than he's just, you know, been off fucking around or, you know, chose to leave his family and then it fell through. So now he's coming back, whatever it is like for her to be so willing to buy into what he's saying, it just seems, um, very self-deprecating of her, you know, like I, I would just wish that she had maybe a little more self-respect to just investigate it further, prod into it further, do a little more sleuthing for yourself. You know, Joe is, you know, he's right in saying that, like, you know, you've started a new life. At least she owes it to Joe and the other people within her life to at least look into what this guy is saying before she buys it. It makes it. her quite unlikable in a, in a respect because of how she treats Joe. This is a man that, you know, she supposedly, supposedly loves and he, he lives with her and, you know, they've built this life together, but all it takes is a split second for this man that disappeared on her three years ago to show up for her to really become 
quite detached to Joe and she doesn't really seem to care that she is hurting him. Um, In fact, she becomes very like blatant about the fact that she could give a shit less what he thinks. Uh, She tells him many times throughout the film. I don't really care. You know, I'm, or she does things at least that indicate that she really doesn't care how he feels because it's obvious that he is not happy. So why are you pushing as her? Why are you pushing the fact that you're going to let this guy stay in your apartment? You're going to do all this stuff when your new partner is strongly opposed to it for good reason, for good reason. So in Tony's bedroom, Sam is in there and he literally gets into Harry's aquarium takes one of the snake eggs, Harry's eggs out of the aquarium and eats it. And this is disgusting. Like, Oh, the scene made me gag. That's like when he bites into the egg and all those like green snake baby goo comes out. I'm like, I can't believe how many moments in this film are like gag worthy. Like there are a lot of scenes of this movie that make your skin crawl. Like to this day, you know, this is a film from 1982 and it still packs quite a punch when you're just thinking of how like, ugh. Gus, gross some of these scenes are it really is pretty nasty well tony walks in on him and, and uh, immediately takes off running as i would and sam follows him and there's this moment where like and it comes into play sam leaves the snake or that leaves the top off the aquarium so that harry starts to crawl out uh rachel gets home and she can't find tony so her and um, joe well particularly joe immediately thinks God damn it. You should not left those two alone. This is what he wanted. This is what he came back here for to take Tony. She's like, Oh, hush. We'll go. Look, we cut back. Sam actually catches up to Tony. And there's this moment where Sam, uh, Tony's like, daddy, you ate one of Harry's eggs. And Sam's like, yeah, I know I needed the eggs because I've changed. I was taken to another world and now I'm back and I need, you know, I need nourishment. And I came back specifically for you. He appeases Tony for a moment and he goes in for a hug, but instead starts sucking on his neck and sucks so this is weird. Sucks so hard that this big old fucking bubble starts to appear on Tony's neck and Tony goes into almost like a trance. It's like he is now transferring something into Tony, something alien into Tony. I was not expecting this. I was not expecting this. There's something strangely like pedophilic about this whole moment. It's it's actually quite uncomfortable. Like, cause he goes in and he starts like sucking on his neck. And at first it looks like, I mean, you're seeing Tony's eyes like rolling back in his head. He's like, he said, he's going into this trance. It's very uncomfortable. I mean, all of Sam's motives with Tony in general are very uncomfortable. There are multiple scenes of him telling Tony straight up, like, Okay, we're going to lie. We're going to lie together. This is what we're going to tell people that we have this, you know, they have this whole story about like there was something to do with like a car accident. They're going to, you know, basically have this whole charade that they go through together to create an alternate story of certain events that have transpired. So people will just suspect Sam less. And um, it, it makes Sam read very maniacal um, and very intentional with his decisions. And this whole moment, I mean, Aside from the the discomfort of the situation of him suckling on his on his son's neck, the visual of it is also again very very 
uncomfortable and, and impressive. I mean, the skin is bubbling. It's more of that, like those air pockets that I mentioned earlier. A lot of that is used here where you see his skin like puffing up where he's sucking out of this like tube of, of his skin. It's, it's really, really gross. And yeah, it definitely feels like he's like injecting him with something or he's basically transferring something over to him. You get the basic gist of it with what's about to happen. Um, you, I think you kind of get the idea that these, you know, these alien beings, these entities have obviously have powers outside of, of what we're able to do within our realm. So with him now being injected with this, he's able to take on some of the powers of these aliens. What these powers are, I mean, it seems like they have no limits, to be honest. It is rather extreme, as we'll come to find out. But this really does basically create a shift within the story where Tony kind of becomes a villain moving forward, a bold choice, an unexpected decision. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I hinted at earlier with Tony's character. He definitely becomes the the primary, I say, yeah, the primary villain in this film. Tony actually, I mean, he, he, he takes out several people in this film and I was not expecting that. Yeah, so now Tony is affected by whatever this alien being does did to him with this neck thing that yes, you are right. Very pedophilic, very uncomfortable to watch, but Rachel and Joe get back home and they're there. Sam and Tony are there. And Rachel's like, where have you been? He's like, Oh, we went out to get sweets. And she says, well, next time you go, can you please let me know where you, where you went? He's like, yeah, of course. And we get this moment with the dinner table, the whole family, including Annalise is around the dinner table. And, and Annalise is like, just, she is, not holding back. She's like, Sam, you look much younger than your picture. Doesn't he, Rachel? And she's like, I don't know. Uh, and she's like, it's also odd that you arrived at the exact moment because Tony's been having dreams about you. How long are you going to stay? Joe interrupts. He's like, not long. And Sam shoots back. Well, that's not up to you. And this is when Joe reveals to everyone that Rachel is divorcing Sam and that him and Rachel are getting married. And Annalise is like, Oh, I'm so happy for you. Great. That's great. I think that Annalise is being kind of, um, I almost feel like Annalise is kind of being shitty to Joe. I think she's kind of calling him out and saying like, this is the whole time up to this point. She's been like, this is Sam is his father. Like, you know, I think that he's acting this way because he misses his father. So I think that she's almost being kind of um, uh, confrontational with Joe in this moment. It seems like everyone's kind of ganging up on Joe um, because he brings this whole thing up about the divorce. And you can even tell that Rachel's like, oh, my God, this is so uncomfortable. And it is rather presumptuous of him to make the statement on behalf of her in front of her husband who has been missing for three years. Like it is very forward of him, but it does provide this moment that comes up where Sam stands up and throws a fucking glass bottle at him. And Joe stands up and screams at Sam. You're a goddamn maniac. You must be out of your fucking mind. Like it's one of the best moments of drama in the film. It's a very well-played argument amongst everybody. And it's very intense. It's a really great moment of acting with some of these characters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it ups the tension quite a bit. And then the, as the, as like the peak of this fight, Tony calls from his bedroom. He's like, Daddy! And both Joe and Sam stand up at the same time. And then it's like Joe has to, like you mentioned, put his tail between his legs when Sam shoots him a look like, Hey, dude, I'm his real father. Joe sits back down and... um Tony 
wants to show his dad that he was able to make this top spin, like just by looking at it. And Sam tells him, well, yeah, now you can do whatever you want just by thinking about it. That's a really vague statement, by the way. I just got to say it. Like, I mean, that he literally, you will come to find that Tony now has the ability to literally do whatever he wants. And he doesn't do a whole lot of stuff. I mean, it's restricted to a pretty specific segment of the film. But the things he does do are so wildly, like, <laughs> over-the-top unexpected. I am curious, like, what abilities does this child possess that we haven't seen? Because they don't dive into it to a, like a ton. But he does several key things over the course of, like, the final chunk of this movie that are literally out of fucking nowhere. And when he says you can do anything by thinking about it, I guess he really means anything. Because what this kid does is quite the feat. And Tony does ask his dad, he's like, do you like Annalise? And his response is, yeah, she's just what we need, but you mustn't damage her. Downstairs, Miss Goodman is making her salad for dinner, and we see that Harry has someone somehow crawled through the light fixture, and he's on her ceiling light, and he drops down into her salad. So when she goes to toss her salad after she puts the dressing on, she lifts up the the spoons, and Harry is hanging there, and she, this old broad screams, ah! and then she proceeds to take a wooden meat tenderizer and beat the shit out of the snake. That's not bad enough. She puts it in a little baggie and takes it upstairs and and knocks on Rachel's door and gives it to her. And you can just see all this bloody smush in this bag. And she's like, this belongs to your son. It was in my dinner. (laughs) This grade school cafeteria salad that this woman is making is so blase. It's such a white person salad, I gotta say it. Just iceberg lettuce and like cucumbers and tomatoes and that's it. And a light vinaigrette. Um, And then there's this whole moment with the snake and this poor fucking snake has done nothing to anybody. And for it to take such a brutal death at, at 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 that tiny little mallet you said that like marinade mallet that she uses to beat the fuck out of it go fuck yourself you old broad (laughs) yeah i felt so bad for the snake because it wasn't the snake's fault you know not only did the snake have one of its children eaten one of its eggs eaten now it's being beat to death with a metal or with a wooden hammer by you know some old broad making a goddamn salad yeah and it's yeah she goes down and gives it to Rachel and of course Tony comes out and sees and Rachel's like oh I'm so sorry there's this moment where Rachel takes Samson on the couch Rachel takes him out some of his old clothes and he even says he's oh you didn't throw them out and she gives him a kiss and then he goes is this when he he goes to like the fireplace what is this and he inhales gas yeah there's this whole thing throughout the course of the film where he consistently has to like fuel himself with like like gas from a gas line like and i think it's also tied into how he's so hot when he first is like reproduced like he melts that fucking phone there's something to do with like heat and steam he's oftentimes seen smoking or causing things to melt and i feel like the gas is like how he keeps this current form of his operating and 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 so there is this weird moment where you see him like huffing gas through the gas line and and like taking it in and it's it is strange but it all just kind of like culminate at the end of the movie you get an idea that this must be like what keeps him in this form and preserved yeah yeah it's it's a quick scene i was like what the fuck is he doing 
And he's also sitting there, Troy. He's sitting there shirtless, nude chested, exposed to her. Like, he knows what he's fucking doing. And she comes in there with some of his old clothing and she hands it off and, like, scurries. She scurries away right away. And you know that, like, she sees that fucking bare naked chest and right away she's like, God damn, I want to fuck the fuck out of him so bad. Like, she's smitten with him. He's in his little tidy whities Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And he's just crashing in their house without any investigation. It just seems like. Well, she goes to the bedroom and Joe's like, Sam cannot stay, Rachel. It wouldn't be good for you. It's not going to be good for Tony. And she says, I mean, this bitch, can you at least act like you like Joe? She's like, well, yeah, I used to know exactly what I'd say to him if he came back, but now I'm not so sure. And he says, then what the hell am I doing here? And she says, oh, that's not what I meant, darling. The hell it's not. You know exactly what you mean, you bitch. She's got an elegant British accent. She's like, hey, you know exactly what I mean, darling. Like, it does make everything she says sound a little more elegant, but she's really just being a cunt to this guy. So Tony is in his bedroom, and he wakes up, and his little acrobat toy starts, like, spinning around. He has a very clown theme going on in his bedroom. He has this little wooden acrobat. Starts spinning around, and all of a sudden, it becomes alive. As a as a little person, uh, I this took me for a loop. I'm like, what the hell? So now we have a little person as a acrobat with his little hammer that is just alive in Tony's room. And all this time while he's making this uh, commotion, Miss Goodman is downstairs banging on the ceiling with her broom. And Tony says to the little guy, he's like, oh, that's Miss Goodman. She killed Harry. And of course, Rachel comes in. She's like, if I hear one more peep from you. I'm going to be very angry. And Miss Goodman continues to bang on the ceiling. And Tony's like, oh, that Miss Goodman. I hate her. What the fuck is the sequence? I mean, honestly, this scene comes out of left field. And it is, if there's one element of the film that kind of takes me out of it, it is this whole aspect because it's a lot more prominent than you'd expect. Like if it was a brief moment where you saw the clown, like come to life for a moment and like play with the top. And like, you know, there's this whole montage of him, like making weird uh, movements at the camera with the, the, the light of the top. It seems very disorienting. And then if he would have like gone back to being like a toy for the rest of the movie, I'd be like, okay. So like he's trying to explore his powers, but no, this fucker is like around to stay for like another 20 minutes. Like this this little person, this dwarf clown man with the face painted and, and all these little toys and these gigantic shoes that he's wearing, he's like prancing about causing mischief, killing people. And it's, there's several other individuals who come into play here soon as well. And it's like um, a kind of a heavy handed focus for a moment here in the film. And I mean, honestly, I could have done without some of this because it's so absurd it does get comedic and nothing else about this movie has felt comedic thus far i don't think it needed it but like okay i'll go with it i'll I'll roll along with it but i don't think it is the strongest aspect of the movie by any means yeah if you ask me one element of the film i could do without it it was this little acrobat dude coming to life i i think it's tonally it just doesn't really fit with the rest of the film although this next scene i really like this next scene quite a bit again even though we can say in an alien invasion film 
what the fuck is this scene doing in this film? But for me, this is the standout scene in the film only because this villain is so fucking creepy and the way it moves and stuff is so, so good. But it's, yeah, it's Miss Goodman. She gets a knock on her door. She goes to open it and it's chained locked. And immediately the minute she opens the door, you see these uh, chain cutters come through and cut her chain. She shuts the door. And she's like, who's there? Who's there? And we see that somebody puts this like bomb on, on the, the doorknob and it blows up. And she's in this. We have to acknowledge she's in this one piece blue jumps jumpsuit. This woman is wearing, you know, we need we need to wear those to the Houston Horror Film Festival. These tight form fitting jumpsuits that she has on. It's the last thing I expected this woman to be wearing, especially at this sequence. Like I was anticipating a nightgown. Maybe she, she's well, going you know, it's Miss Goodman. She has some hot dates. But literally, this thing breaks through the door and it comes in. And what this is is it's a, it's a life size toy soldier. It's it's Tony it's Tony's toy soldier toy that he's been playing with, complete with uh, a gun, has a bow and arrow. Like she's just standing there, like uh, not really reacting. I'd be like run like you can run past this fucking it's a toy soldier but it's full grown and as she's reaching for the door it does shoot like an arrow at her and she's able to get past it and go into her living room and shut the door and then this thing takes its gun out with a bayonet on the end of it i just like how mechanical this thing is like all the little motions it makes it's it's exactly like you would expect a, a toy soldier to be like its movements, it's very creepy, just dead in the eyes. There's no expression on its face at all. Like its eyes don't move. It's not like a human form. It's a, as big as a human, but it is still very stiff, painted on face. Um, the way it moves is just creepy as fuck. I mean, it kicks her living room door down and goes into her living room to look for her. And, you know, it starts stabbing behind the curtains and stuff. And then this bitch... She, her chocolates have spilled onto the floor from her coffee table. And first of all, Roger, we see her little arm come out from under the sofa. There is no way her big ass fit under that sofa. Let's just put that out there. There is no way her big ass fit under the sofa. No way. She couldn't even lift no. the fucking sofa, this elderly woman. This is a geriatric chase scene, by the way. Like, how often do we get treated to one of these? This is a senior citizen chase sequence. But yeah, I mean, this woman, this woman, there's no way in hell she's getting under this couch, but I give her credit for fucking trying. Yeah, well, she's under there and she reaches out f- f- to grab a chocolate. <laughs> I'm like, bitch, you can't. <laughs> is she reaching for it to eat the chocolate or is she reaching for it because she's aware that she knocked them over and she's trying to hide? I think, she, no, I think she's her. trying to eat it. She, uh, you yes. think this woman is literally okay. treating herself to a fucking like a chocolate? I mean, she wasn't she was. earlier. She loved before. it. She, she loved it. She was putting it in her mouth and she was, mm. <laughs> She's like, if I'm going out, I'm going out yes. with something. I think sweet she was like, under that couch, she's like, fuck <laughs> it, I'm going to eat a piece of chocolate while I'm under here. Well, he. <laughs> yeah he um well the thing caesar even though i mean it turns around at caesar and this poor old broad dies because the soldier sees her reaching for a chocolate and stabs through the couch with its bayonet and all we hear is her go ah! and then fake blood horrible looking fake blood come out from under the couch listen I definitely did not expect anything even remotely similar to the scene to exist within this film. However, I will not, I refuse to sit here and 
slam this scene in any way because somehow, some way, this movie has managed to provide me with a, an excellent stalk and slash kill sequence in a film that really does not deserve one. And you're right, it is one of the standout moments. This killer toy soldier is so much more effective than the the little clown man. Like, you know, if you're going to do something where these things are coming to life, like the fact that this does still look like a toy soldier is why he's effective. You're right. He moves like a toy. He's really jagged and rigid with his motions. When he goes to stab through the curtain at one point, because he thinks she's hiding behind it, you see his arms like rear back, like, and then move forward. Like he's like not oiled well. He moves like the Tin Man, you know, and it's, it's just such a specific and like, really like kind of ballsy move to add this kind of moment into this film. But I really do feel that this scene pays off. Um, I enjoy the fuck out of this moment. I wish the other living toy had a similar effect because it's clear they're able to execute it. I mean, it's definitely clear that they're able to pull off a cool fucking scene like this. I just don't think that the, the little clown gentleman has any moments that are nearly as effective as what no fuck that little clown guy i hate this i don't i'm not a big fan of the little clown dude well we get this scene then of joe waking up he goes to work and he left rachel a note she wakes up and she sees this note and all it is it's a note that says the note we don't know what it says we can we can infer here coming up what it says but she goes into the kitchen where sam is just sitting at the table looking at a photo album and she asks him Hey, do you remember where this photo was taken? And he's like, yeah, it was the cottage. I, I took this photo. You know, it's sort of like a connection between them two because she is starting to realize that he does remember stuff, but then didn't he tell her he couldn't remember anything? So th- at this moment, you would think she would be like, oh, I thought you said you didn't remember anything, but you can remember where these pictures were taken. But no, she just like, oh, that's great. And she's like rubbing on him and stuff like that. I'm like, bitch. Ugh. One thing I think that's worth noting here is, and she says this later, is I think what what happens is here is she sees his reaction to this and she thinks, oh, I think this photo is maybe starting to provoke some memories from him. Because she does eventually say, I'm taking him to the cabin or the cottage, because I think that we can get some of these memories to come back of what happened. So that I think is the motivating factor here, how he plays this. And, you know, I think it's all very intentional of getting back to the the cottage, it seems to be like the plan here, or at least part of his plan, so she just feeds right into it. What I really like about this whole kind of sequence here is, honestly, Joe is so quick to acknowledge, holy fuck, I'm not wanted here anymore, that he packs his bag and he straight up just leaves. Like, I think this is Joe saying, I'm going back and I'm going to be living in my studio at this point because I do not want to be part of this family anymore. I am clearly not wanted. The woman who I thought loved me is immediately going back to the man that has been missing from her life for the last fucking three years. How insulting to me as her lover. And I'm going to go back to my life and kind of fuck her. And I love that he makes that decision because it does feel like something somebody would yes and it's it's not bull it's not sugar-coated we don't have to we don't have to be um treated to scenes of them arguing and him him trying to beg her to stay blah blah blah. no he he just gets the fuck out of there and i'm assuming the note was like hey i'm leaving you bye so rachel does get a call from the doctor asking about tony so she goes in and takes the call annalise is folding laundry there in the kitchen and as she's on the phone rachel just casually checks his jacket pocket and finds a photo of the female that was killed in the car earlier. Because remember, Sam has that guy's clothes. He took them from him. 
So she also finds a large wad of money. And so she, when she calls uh, Sam in, he's like, I don't know who that is. And she's like, oh, I'm sure you don't. She's probably missing you terribly right now. He's like, no, I really don't know. It's not mine. And he's, she says, oh, it's not your money either. So yeah, she, and it's kind of like, she says it real bitchily. Like there's almost like a jealous streak in her because he has a picture of another woman. I, I get it though. I think she's thinking, you know, he's been telling her this whole time that he can't remember anything that she finds this photo and what she thinks is his jacket. And the way she reads the letter, it's like been missing. You love Jane. She thinks that there's another woman and that now he's like second guessing things, you know, she's creating a very plausible story in her mind as to what happened. I really think tying everything back into the couple that got killed earlier and like what was on them, like the things that were in the guy's pockets and her going through it and being like, this makes no sense is honestly such a great plot device. It's so simple, but it makes so much sense. Cause of course now this is the one item of clothing he came with. She's going to be going through the pockets doing laundry and she finds all this shit, including this, this reasonable photo that that guy would have had. I mean, very well thought out, very natural evolution in the story. So Rachel does go to Joe's office and to tell him that she is going to uh, go to the cabin with Sam. I like the fact that Joe is so like, he's like, I don't give a shit, whatever. He's very dismissive of her. And he says, here, I found this in his jacket. And yeah, she shows him the picture of the, the girl. He says, what a terrible shot. <laughs> That's his response when he sees the What a terrible shot. I mean, he's so dismissive of her. And she asks, can you have any compassion at all? And he says, nope. I mean, he's just like over it. He's over it. It's such a well-played character choice. I mean, it, it feels exactly like what this guy would do. I, I like that he has a semblance of self-respect that he's like, don't fucking come crawling back to me because now that you have concerns that he has another woman in his life, now you're going to come back to me and ask for my help? Absolutely fucking not. Absolutely not. And it's just by coincidence that she leaves this photo here that anything is even able to be tied together by him because Joe does become kind of a major moving piece in the final chapter of the film. He actually takes a lot of initiative coming up here. Uh, but with good reason, I feel. Oh, for sure, for sure, for what he what he sees with the photo and what he sees of the newspaper. So the earlier when Mrs. Uh, Goodman is scarfing down her chocolates, she's listening to the news and it is announced that there was like a mutilated woman found in the city. Okay, so it's been she's been found. It's been on the news, so that comes into play with with Joe and that photo here, real quick. We cut to Annalise watching Tony. Tony wants to play hide and seek. She's like, no, you can't. There's nowhere to hide here. The doorbell rings and it's her fucking boyfriend again. So she goes uh, to tell Tony, she's like, I'm going to go lie down for a bit. He's like, you're always laying down. She goes into her room and has sex with her boy. And Tony, after a few minutes, comes pounding on her door, wanting to play. So she agrees to come out for a quick game of hide and go seek. She, she's taking a break from that dick so that they can play hide and go seek. Meanwhile... Rachel and Sam arrive at the cabin property and we cut back to Annalise finishing. She's counting for hide and go seek. She is, you can tell she has no idea or she has no desire to play this game. She's like, yeah, 20, here I come. So she's looking around and she hears him out in the hallway. He's calling her out in the hallway and she goes out there. And again, it's a very like kind of cat and mouse scene because he's up 
above her laughing and he's calling her name. So she has to go upstairs and she gets on the elevator and she's on the elevator. The camera shoots up and we see that fucking circus guy on the ceiling. He drops down on top of her. This whole moment has some really nice buildup because it, it's kind of implied that she thinks he's hiding in the elevator. So he takes it downstairs. She starts chasing down the steps and all of a sudden the elevator stops and starts going back up and he starts taunting her. So she chases it back up. And when she finally gets to the landing, like there's these really nice shots of her like coming through the railings of the staircase. It seems really suspenseful. Like it's actually a rather good buildup, this whole thing of her chasing the elevator up and down. The payoff of the, the tiny man in the clown suit hiding in the ceiling of the elevator is not the payoff I was anticipating, nor is it the payoff I wanted here. Um, I was not wanting this individual to come back at all. He's back. He's back. He's mischievous and he's knocking her out. And pretty soon he's dragging her around, wrapped up in balloons, hitting her with rubber mallets and it gets real weird for a minute. It gets real fucking weird. Real weird. Yeah. They drag her out of the elevator into the apartment where the, circus dude yeah has this rubber mallet that like is almost limp but he still beats her in the head with it to knock her out and then tony proceeds to go down on her stomach and start sucking it like his dad was doing to his neck and again very uncomfortable watching this little boy suck the stomach of this woman with her breasts and everything hanging out and her stomach starts to like deflate and we see like these octopus tentacle type things underneath like big veins and stuff start to appear it's really really just what the fuck it's wtf what the fuck if you would remove the tiny clown man from the sequence this actually would be a horrifying sequence like everything that happens here like when when he starts sucking on her stomach and she's like moaning and you know she's obviously injured but she's still feeling it the visual of these veins like bubbling up under her skin it's all really rather terrifying and the child just looking around as he's sucking on her torso and then it keeps cutting back to the occasional shots of the fucking clown cherub and it's like oh just get the fuck out of here like you're ruining a really great moment it's still a really good scene even in spite of the tiny little clown man Uh, he almost ruins it for me but the visual of her laying there with that kid sucking on her gut those veins puffing up it's still a rather awesome the problem with the clown man and you hit on it is that he's playing it's he's playing everything so comedically like he has his limp he holds up his mallet and it goes limp it drops uh, droops over limp he's ever he's making these goofy facial expressions and stuff he's playing everything so humorously and i get it it's a he's not really even a clown he's an acrobat it was the acrobat toy that came alive so it's not like your traditional circus clown that we expect to be funny even though he's dressed like one it's real weird because it wasn't a circus toy that came alive it was an acrobat i don't know but the fact is he everything that this actor is doing is humorous and it just does not fit with the tone of the film and it, it just it's not it doesn't mesh well Some movies are really good at being comedic horror films, and some films are meant to be dry and dramatic and serious, and this movie is the latter. This film is its best when it is rooted in reality, or it feels like it's exploring real human emotions, or it's allowing, you know, the the strong acting to carry it. There's so many good moments in this movie. It didn't need to even veer into the realm of comedic 
in fact, it really does kind of bring it down a bit. It knocks it down a few pegs for me because this movie just was standing on its own two legs as a, as a dramatic horror film. It's still a great scene, but yeah, get rid of this little fucking clown dude and this would have been creepy as fuck. Tony fully turning into like a little homicidal maniac, you know? So we cut back to Rachel and Sam at the cabin. They get there and it's unlocked. So Rachel's like, somebody's been here. So they go inside and the gas stove is on inside the cabin, which I thought was a nice touch to insinuate that maybe Sam has been there because remember he was sucking gas out of the, um, out of Rachel's apartment. And now they get there and the gas is still on at this cabin. So apparently he's already been there. Sam wants to go for a walk instead of reporting it because Rachel's like, should we report it? And Sam's like, no, let's go for a walk. Let's go see if we can find anything in the woods. Back at the apartment, Annalise's boyfriend goes to look for her and is attacked by immediately attacked by this small toy tank that starts shooting at him. This heavily reminded me of the movie Dolls. There's a sequence in Dolls when all of the toy tanks come to life and start shooting at that girl as she's running through the hallway. Same thing. This little toy tank is chasing Michael, her Annalise's boyfriend, through the apartment, shooting at him. Uh, he goes into the bathroom to hide, and he sees Annalise in the bathtub, and she is covered in like slime and like what looks to be like almost like spider webs. And we see like these creatures, these eggs, and this creature like breathing on under her skin. It's real, real disturbing to see this poor woman. Her face is like frozen in in this terror expression uh so of course he the, the tank shoots the door open and he takes off running again but now is attacked by a panther this came out of fucking nowhere was there a panther toy earlier in the film that we i never saw i never saw one i know that the kid can do anything but the fact that he can do anything is very broad and it's a little too vague for me um i am happy that michael gets this like big elaborate chase scene i mean it goes on for a moment he's running from this tank it's blasted through doors i fucking adore the uh practical effect for the makeup on annalise when her body is discovered i think it's horrifying i think it is she's basically becoming a nest for these things i mean she her body is being used as uh, a means for these things to reproduce and literally produce eggs here in a moment. I mean, what this thing does, it it is not done evolving. There is more that goes on with Annalise's corpse, and it's consistently very impressive. But then you have this whole moment where he gets chased into the hallway, and yeah, he turns, and there's a fucking, like, there is a panther. There is a black panther. It's in the hallway. It presumably kills him. You don't see the body reveal, but you do see him get attacked by the thing. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, this is the other aspect of the film that's a little too, goes a little too far for me. His powers are just so broad, but it's not thoroughly explained. And, and that leaves a lot of room for desire for me, uh, you know, as, as a filmmaker and as a, someone who is a you know, script writer and I enjoy these elements of kind of tying these things together. I think that this could have been finessed a little bit more. If you're really going to make it that this kid can do anything, like... I don't know. I think it just like, if anything, it kind of drops the stakes. Like how the fuck do you defeat him? How the fuck do you win here? You know, I, I don't understand like, what's the outcome? How do you beat this kid? If he can make fucking black Panthers and tiny clown men appear out of thin air, like what is the limit to his power and where the fuck is it coming? From? So in the woods, Rachel finds this, this carcass, which is the carcass of the, the creature that, was killed earlier was hit by the car obviously was was sam and she runs to find sam who's now cold and he's like shivering um, and he tells her that he misses her and, and they kiss and they go inside and have some wine 
And Sam's like, you're not so sure about Joe, are you? She's like, I don't know. So she goes in the kitchen to call home. When she leaves, uh, Sam is like playing with his hair and he's like twirling and he pulls his hand back and we see him pull out a large clump of his hair with a scalp attached. So it's, yeah, I know. It's like, uh uh-oh, his body is already starting to deteriorate. So he's going to have to act here real quick. At the apartment, this clown, this little clown dude, knocks over the refrigerator and he's pouring liquid into it. And Rachel calls the apartment, but the clown rips the phone off the wall. So she has to call the neighbor to have him go check on Tony. She's like, Tony and Annalise are there, but they're not answering. Can you go check on him? This neighbor's like, yeah, sure. This neighbor, the Mister uh, Mister Knight, who he's like very pleasant, but as soon as he hangs up the phone, he's like fucking bitch. Like <laughs> he goes from like super pleasant to being a total asshole like within a second. I did like this character, though another brief character who does also get a really random, elaborate sequence. But yeah, so you know, Mister Knight is basically beckoned to his death <laughs> by Rachel, who's just calling for a favor. Um, I do find it interesting that. You've got, you know, Sam at this point, I think he's he's basically, you know, it's pretty clear he's trying to fuck Rachel. Like he's seducing her. He's trying to species to her. He's trying to fuck her, I think, and basically get her to reproduce another version of him maybe that's able to like rebuild or something. But it's clear that he's got ulterior motives with Rachel and she is just so smitten she's not even picking up on it. Yeah, no, he definitely has some sinister intentions with her. Well, inside the bathroom at the apartment, Annalise's body is now like propped up against like it's stuck up against the wall now. And it's like and it ha- there's like this large tube coming out of it that starts to birth like these small egg sacs that the the clown takes and puts them into the overturned refrigerator, into the goo and the water in the overturned refrigerator. It's disgusting. How is this clown so fucking prominent at this point, helping with the, the reproduction? But this this whole design here for this reproduction system, whatever it's doing to produce these egg sacs, it's fucking terrifying. You know, you see the husk of her body through all this webbing. Like, she's literally, like, it looks like a spider, like, took and, like, supported her in the top corner and created a fucking, like, you know, uh, uh, sucked her out of her blood and created a nest up there with her corpse. It looks so gross. It's a great effect. Really and I got to say, I was very shocked that Annalise dies and that to- at the hands of Tony, because that he seemed to be very smitten with Annalise. Like they got along great. She's been his nanny for a while and for him just to so uh, emotionally kill her. It, it does show that he has, he's been taken over by this, this alien entity the neighbor yeah. shows up and rings the doorbell and nobody answers. So he goes back down the elevator and he gets kind of his own little chase scene here where he starts to hear a noise and he gets out of the elevator and like the lights, it gets real dark and he sees this like circular thing, multi multi-colored circular thing start flying towards him. He's like, what is that? And it, it's that damn top. It looks like that damn top that that clown has been playing with and it literally flies by him phantasm style and slits his throat wide open it's a great effect honestly like it's a kind of a weird kill sequence you're like what the fuck's going on i do like that like all of these toys are coming into play it really feels like i what i've gathered is tony's power is he literally is able to take the toys in his room and to use his power of imagination to create really actually dangerous things. Um, and so it is at least just a consistent through story. All of the things that come to life are toys that you basically see in one way or another within his house. You know, sans the fucking Black Panther 
which I don't know where the fuck he came from. But other than that, these are all things that are consistently seen within his. Yeah, bedroom. and it's funny that this clown is so prominent, but we never see the uh, we never see the the human sized toy soldier again. Where did he go? So Rachel has no choice but to call Joe to tell him that she's worried about not being able to get a hold of Tony and Annalise. Joe agrees to go check on them because he still, you know, has feelings for for Tony, I think. And he still has feelings for Rachel, but I think when Tony's involved that's the that's the motivating factor for Joe to say he'll go do it. But that's when he looks down and he notices the newspaper. And there's an article on the front page about finding a a dead girl, like a mutilated dead girl in the in the city, and he looks at it and it's the same girl from the photo that Rachel showed him that she found in Sam's pocket. I fucking love this moment, Troy. Yeah, of course he's like, holy fuck. He's starting to be like, shit. Okay. Uh, There's something not right here. What a great little way to connect these things. Like you see him looking down at the photo and then it racks focus to the newspaper under his foot because he's an artist. He's got all this like shit, kind of like papers and everything spread around on his floor. So he looks down and just racks focus. He just so happens to catch the moment. And I just think it's this, again, this tiny little detail that they really, really fucking nailed this moment. I really like it a lot. Yeah. And it, it actually gives Joe reason to go into high gear and try to go back and protect Rachel. In fact, he tries to call her back right away. We see that Sam has touched the phone jack as the phone's ringing and it basically melts it. So Joe goes to his car. He rushes out. He gets to his car and guess who's sitting on his hood? Tony. And Joe says, what are you doing here? And Tony says, Annalise dropped me off so she could go be with Michael. So this child's now lying as well. Like aside from being maniacal and killing people with killer toys, he's just straight up lying about things. He has definitely been taken. Well, he says, hop in. We're going to go see your mom at the cottage. Well, at the cottage, there's some hot and heavy sex going on. Rachel's laying there sleeping and Sam literally gets in the bed with Rachel, climbs on top of her. Starts kissing her. She easily reciprocates and they start to fuck. Like they start to fuck. He is pounding that pussy. He's going to town. Rachel, do not let this man impregnate you. See species two. The same thing will happen. But she is so taken by this man. And I mean, he's handsome. He's reasonably good shape. I don't know. They must have had a, a, a just a beautiful romance. He must before. or either that or he has a baby arm for a dick. Big fucking dick. Well, I mean, she seems thrilled with it. And so she's very in the moment. And meanwhile, you're intercutting with these moments of of Joe driving Tony to the cabin. And they've got these like really strange, distorted shots, like almost like fisheye shots on Tony's face looking like he couldn't look more suspicious if he tried. This kid is just like glaring into the camera with this like smirk on his face. He is so creepy for the final chunk yeah, of the movie. Because he knows what's going down. Tony knows what's going down. And so, yeah, and they're in the throes of passion. Rachel reaches around, you know, she's, she's feeling his back and she feels, we see the kind of the covers fall off of Sam's back and we see the whole like left side of his back has the skin is starting to deteriorate and it's like gooey and bloody and she feels it. She's like, oh, Sam, you've hurt yourself. And he keeps going and then she's like reaches up to touch his face. He's like, no, don't touch my face. And we see the whole left side of his face. The skin is all deteriorating and she screams and tries to push him off of her. He's like, no, I'm not done yet. And he starts thrusting and he like literally orgasms. I mean, he forces himself to orgasm in her. And I mean, it's pretty rough. And I mean, whew, 
Yeah, it's it's uh, becomes it's a rape sequence for like the last few moments of it because she's trying to push him off, and yeah, he definitely definitely finishes it, and it almost seems to cause him pain. Um, but this is the point where like you know, his body is is just losing control. It is starting to pretty much rot away, and, and the the shots that we start to see of like the final stages of his body starting to transform are like on par with like what you see in like the fly remake, honestly, like some of these wounds, like there's a shot of his legs splitting down the middle. It's disgusting. Um, he starts to sense that Tony's getting close. Cause one thing like I will say that's consistent through the film is I almost wonder if because they shared this abduction experience together and he was taken and Tony wasn't, if part of the reason they share this connection is because they both experienced this abduction together. Tony just wasn't taken, but they did experience this together. So there is this consistent connectivity between the two of them. So as soon as Joe and Tony arrive, you have a moment where he senses it. He turns to it. You see his face is starting to, the skin is starting to blister and peel off. His fingertips are black, like they're rotting. It's some great makeup work for these final 10 minutes of the film. Oh, absolutely. Stellar practical effects. And yes, I do think that Tony was affected by the initial uh, abduction and it did cause these two to have some sort of connection whether it's telepathically whatever it is because there's a specific reason why now sam has come back for tony because there is a strong connection he needs to get to tony i think that's kind of the whole uh, catalyst for everything that's happening is his his planet whatever it is wherever he came from knowing that they need to get tony to them and so they send sam back down to get them because he, tony is so in tune with with them and their life and what's happening uh so yeah joe and tony get to the cabin and joe uh tells tony to stay in the truck as he goes to check things out he goes inside and rachel immediately comes down the stairs and says they got to get the car and get out of there meanwhile Tony, of course, has not listened and he's left the car and, and wandered into the field to find Sam. Yes, rapidly decomposing. Like, yeah, his, I mean, skin is literally hanging off of him. It is disgusting and there's pus goo shit coming out of him. It is gross. But uh, Sam walks up to Tony and they kind of comfort each other. Well, and even Tony is starting to show some signs of deterioration now. Like, you're starting to see like veins running through his face. It's, it's, it's very interesting at what starts to happen to them at this point. And like the, the best thing about this final chunk of the film, I have to say, is it's completely void of any of those kind of absurdist moments that came up. I mean, it's absurd in the sense about fucking aliens, but like the comedic elements like we saw with the tiny little clown man earlier and everything, he's gone for the rest of the film. He's not coming back. Thank God, because everything that carries through for this final chunk is is honestly, it's just kind of like pure fucking horror. And it's well done. So Rachel and Joe get to the car and they see Sam leading Tony into the woods very ominously. Like it's there's bright light shining down and you just see silhouettes of Sam and Tony going into the woods. So Joe runs after them. And as he approaches, Sam turns around and now Sam is completely just decomposed, almost zombie like looking. And he just lets out this guttural scream, causing Joe to immediately like go into this frantic thing where he covers his ears and he starts screaming. And we see now blood start gushing out of Joe's ears and it, the scream literally kills Joe. He falls to the ground and he's just a bloody mess kind of a sad way for for joe to go out you know i feel like joe in this film definitely got the short end of the stick uh he was treated like shit by rachel you know he go he only goes to this cabin because 
he's trying to protect her and Tony. And then he gets killed kind of, I don't know, kind of like an afterthought. Like this death is pretty underwhelming for this character. The death is underwhelming, but I think the shock of it happening without any like hesitation is what makes it effective for me. Cause like, you don't really know what's going to happen. You haven't seen the progression up to this extreme in Sam's like physical appearance. So when he turns around, it's shocking. I mean, he looks horrifying and he's starting to look a lot more like Extro, the alien from earlier in the film. I mean, you know, but he's starting to really start to look like that. He's got the fangs coming through and everything. So he turns around and it is sh- like a first time viewers. I'm sure you'll be like, oh, because there's a great like intense score that hits. It really packs a punch. And when this thing starts screaming. I think you're just starting to realize the sheer power this has. You've seen moments in movies before where people start bleeding from their ears, but I can't really think of a moment where it's like an alien or a monster or something makes someone literally hemorrhage to death in a moment like this. And it does feel kind of unceremonious, but it also feels so shocking. Like after this moment happened, it kind of took my breath away because I was like, he killed him without even hesitating. It's not like there's a moment where he took a beat and was like, mm, no, I'm going to actively do this. No, he, as soon as he realizes that Joe is trying to stop him, he turns around and he takes him fucking out. It's it's shocking. Yeah, no, it is shocking. And he's yeah. Now he's full. Like he's not human now. He's full. I mean, he's almost full alien, full creature. So yeah, it shows that there's no like compassion, no hesitation, no anything. He just turns around and he kills Joe, and Joe drops to the ground. Of course, Rachel comes running up to him, and he's dead. I mean, he's I blood pouring out of his ears and you know rachel gets up and she can only just scream tony tony sam as she watches sam basically take tony into this bright light towards this spaceship and they 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 disappear into the light and everything becomes bright again and she they're gone there's something to be said about this final moment, though, Troy, where you do see, like, you see Sam in his final form. Like, I mean, like, there's even a moment where if you watch, you start to see Tony's face melt away into this other creature, too. Like, Tony is also mutating. So she does chase after them. You really don't think, like, I, I tell me, when you started watching this movie, I didn't personally anticipate that Rachel would be the last fucking one standing, but oh, girl's there, and she's the only one left. Like, she's been rather meek and easily taken advantage of over the whole course of the film. I did not expect this woman to be the final, I guess, protagonist of the film. Did you? Um, You know, no. I would have preferred someone else to do it, but it, it it's kind of fitting because of the, the last moments of the film, like really nobody survives in this film, uh, including her. We think she's going to survive, uh, but you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about her specific character making it this far because she is perhaps the most unlikable character in the film because of her treatment of, of Joe and, and just like her whole oblivious, of, of really what's going on when it should have been kind of obvious to her that there was something not right, but she gets her. I mean, it's, it's not like she has a happy ending. Yeah. She has to watch her child and her, uh, her husband turn into these creatures and get sucked up into a spaceship and disappear. And all she can do is go sit in the middle of the field and, you know, it doesn't really have a, a strong reaction. It's almost more like shock. She just like sits in this middle of the field and is like, what the fuck do I do now? 
And I thought the film, I thought the film was going to end there, which okay would have been fine, but it doesn't. There's this almost like tacked on ending of her going back to the apartment and walking in and she immediately sees like the apartment is all like sterile white. Now that damn Panther still there roaming around. I don't know if this is a dream sequence. It almost is film. Like it could be a dream sequence, you know, it has that haziness to it. Uh, and the apartment now is like clear of everything except this refrigerator that she walks to and she sees the egg sacks that that the uh the circus clown had put in there and she picks one up and you know she's holding it in her hand and looking at it and i like the fact that it takes a long time it doesn't take a long time but it builds up she's just holding it and nothing's happening nothing's happening nothing's happening it takes its time and all of a sudden tentacle shoots out of it grabs her face and kills her yeah it's a shocking and like unexpected final moment and it's not like i wouldn't say it completely works like you're right it definitely feels like a dream sequence um I, my big issue is like the shift of motivation like last moment you get with her girl is left all alone like you're right and just complete shock after losing her boyfriend and her child and her nanny and her husband for a second time like she's kind of just like left with nothing and then all of a sudden you get this moment of her going back to the apartment and it feels very dreamy, but like also what happens, I'm assuming really happens because you have this whole thing with these egg sacks, which you did see that earlier with the little clown man putting the egg sacks in the, in the tub and so forth. You're right. The Panther's there, but that's not really touched upon. And then she holds this thing and there is this great moment of it, like pulsing, like you hear the heartbeat, you see the thing in the, in what is clearly a water balloon with veins on it, just going doo doo. <laughs> and she's just looking down at it really intensely and i just don't understand like what's her motivation is she planning on like almost like rearing these things and raising them like i don't know where she's going with it and then it suddenly erupts and it does the same thing it did to that blonde earlier it, it attaches to her face she drops down she's dead there is an alternate ending the original ending that was filmed of her returning to the apartment opens the door and there's like 10 clones of tony in the apartment and so she turns around and reveals that she is now pregnant with obviously the child of sam but she's i guess she smiles and like accepts it like almost like she's so affected by everything that happened that she's like uh delusional over it and so that ends with her smiling as her stomach starting to like inflate and surrounded by all these clones but they weren't happy with the final effects so they shot the ending and this is the ending that we saw um I don't know how I feel about it. I think the idea of the original ending sounds cooler. There are a few cool shots in this ending, though. And the fact that she dies is shocking. Like, I'm kind of like, oh, my God, this leaves me feeling so empty. Like, nobody made it, including this, you know, this woman who made some bad choices. But overall, like, I still feel bad for what she's gone through. Her life has been trauma for the last three years. And she's just trying to fucking find her own happiness. And this is what happens. Like, it is kind of a miserable ending. It's very sad. Yeah, it is sad. Everyone, everyone's loses, I guess, except Tony and Sam, wherever they go back, they go back to their own planets, but they're now alien creatures. Now, I don't know how happy their life is going to be, but I, I like the idea of that alternate ending a lot better. Uh, this one just kind of seemed tacked on. I don't know. It just seemed tacked on. Like I would have been fine with the film ending with her sitting in the, in the field because that's not a happy ending either. This bitch has lost everything. She lost her husband, she lost her child. She lost her rebound to Joe. I mean, it's not like it would be a happy ending. So to send her back to the 
to the uh, apartment just so we can get a, a scare of an or a jump scare with an alien tentacle jumping out and killing her. I don't know. I don't know if that was needed. I really don't. I kind of like the idea of, like I said, the alternate ending. Yeah, it would have been a lot more of a. I mean, it'd been very bleak, but like this this final moment feels so. Um, again, out of left field, which this movie is chock full of moments like that, but it just feels tonally off. It feels like it goes to a place that I didn't necessarily need it to go for this final moment. There have been so many great practical effects over the course of this movie. I don't feel deprived. If, if you would have removed this sequence, I wouldn't be feeling deprived not having one more moment. I think I'd feel a little more, um, almost in a way, a sense of completion. This definitely feels forced in a way, and I think it opens up more questions than it provides any form of closure. So it's not a horrible ending. It just doesn't feel totally necessary. I would have loved to have seen the original ending because it sounds really interesting. And for her character, it seems like it would have provided more of an element, again, of closure for her and would have just made more sense with her journey. This last moment does not seem like it has Rachel in mind. It seems like it has a shock, boo, like uh, startle moment in mind more than anything. And it's completely making her disposable, uh, which I don't think does the story that much favor. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. At least with the, uh, the ending of her just sitting in the field, it would, ha- it would also be a little bit ambiguous. You know, we, we, we would be able to fill in our minds what we think would happen to her after that, th- having this whole experience, but they, they, unfortunately they went for shock value. However, it doesn't detract from the movie. The movie itself is quite, uh, quite effective. Quite, quite effective. I want to know what happened to that fucking giant toy soldier. I want to know why nobody found poor Mrs. Goodman's body. That's never addressed either. She's up there under that couch still with that, those chocolates all around her. But yeah, I had never seen this. And I'm going to tell you, I, I thoroughly uh, enjoyed this experience. This is a, a fun film. Um, it's a film that's a little deeper than I anticipated. And, you know, fast paced focal characters that you can really get to know and care about. Uh, I was really impressed for this, but for a film that I sincerely thought was just going to be a, another trashy B-grade alien film based on the cover art and just my expectations, the title even, it's it's actually something quite, quite deeper. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I definitely don't think that I anticipated the experience I got out of this movie. And my gripes with it aside, which are very unique gripes, I mean, they're not, I haven't seen many movies that have such glaringly... Uh, at times offensive moments. Offensive for me is like uh, someone who's really enjoying the movie to see it suddenly take such a sharp step in a different direction, throwing me off in a way. Uh, but it always manages to get back on track, and I respect that. And the few moments I really don't adore about this film are very much um, like outshined by the things I really do appreciate, which are the amazing practical effects, consistently keeping an element of suspense and tension, great character development, um, and yeah, just like you had said, used the term elegant before, and there is a strange feeling of elegance with this movie that I would not have anticipated going into it. So like, I got to give it to this film for completely outdoing my expectations. Um, and, and for those of you who did pause to watch this film before listening to this review, like I really, I'm genuinely excited to hear some feedback from our fans here. Because uh, this is a movie I'm sure a lot of you have not seen. I would be surprised if, if the majority had, to be honest. I think most of you probably haven't. If you can find it, let us know what you think about it. Because I really think there's not many movies I can compare this to. The only ones I can, I think, kind of took inspiration from this film. 
like I mentioned, Species 2. Like, I don't even know Species 2 would exist if it wasn't for this film giving the blueprint of this kind of basic concept. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I definitely, I would definitely want to hear, or I definitely want to hear your thoughts on this film if you gave it a watch, because it is one that I think is so obscure. It flies under the radar. I don't know why it's not talked about more, but it's not. And it's one I never hear brought up. So hopefully we introduced you to what you think would be a gem, maybe a hidden gem that you can, you can share with us and let us know. Yeah. Let us know your thoughts on extra, because I know I had quite the experience watching this film and I'm very glad I did. Yes, I'm so happy. And I, I'm sure if you enjoyed this one, I can't even begin to imagine what you're going to think of the next one, Troy. Because for our listeners, this one is a little out of nowhere and a little obscure. But this next review that we have coming up, it's been a long time coming. It has been a long time coming. And with this being my birthday month, and technically this will be our first episode reviewed after my 37th birthday. So happy birthday to me. Happy you know birthday. I had to pick one. Oh, God, stop it. I'm turning 37. I feel so old. Um, oh, you know God. I had to pick one that, that I, I dare say this is a very important film to me for multiple reasons. And Troy, I correct me if I'm wrong, but you have not seen this next title either, correct? Don't come for me, but I have not. I have not. I'm so excited. I cannot wait. Guys, I'm just going to tell you now, because again, this is going to be my birthday episode. Uh, next episode is is going to be 13 Ghost. Yes. 2001 remake. 2001 remake? 2001 remake. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and honestly, a film that I think when it first came out, people were very torn over it. People had a lot of opinions, but I think it's aged uh, rather well, uh, better than expected. And I can't wait to hear what you think about it, Troy. I can't wait to see it. I know I know you've mentioned it several times. It's been on, you know, we on our Patreon, we do a little thing where we do our top three uh, lists. We, we call them mini episodes, but we have like 23 of them now. They're like top three, whatever. And I know you have included it several times and you've talked about it several times. So I'm glad we're finally covering it. Uh, it's going to be a special episode, not only for your birthday, but just this particular title itself. I know is special to you. So I cannot wait, guys. So Tune in. We will have that up. But yeah, let us know your thoughts on Extra. Again, check out the Patreon and check out an Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating there. And yeah, until next week when we are talking not one ghost, not seven ghosts, not 12 ghosts, but 13 fucking ghosts. But 13 ghosts. <laughs> All right, guys. With that, good night. This was a long one. Woo. Okay. Lots to say about extra. Long, but we've had longer. Let's be real. We've yeah. had longer. <laughs> we've had longer. All right, guys. Good night. Good night.